Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining. Today, I'm speaking with Jeff Horseman. Jeff is a professor at the University of Wolford Laurier in Canada, and I asked Jeff to come on to talk about some of what's going on in academia in Canada, um, at least as much as you know he knows about. Um, I think it's especially after October 7th, uh, people are just kind of getting shun, uh, stunned by what's going on in campuses. Um, hi, Jeff. Thank you for coming on. No, thank you for having me, Obed. Um, I mean, my first question is, I mean, I've got my, I, I've got my theories and, you know, I'm on the outside looking in and my theories could be partially tinfoil hat and partially based on like, you know, educated guesses or assumptions based on people I've talked to. Um, but what the hell is going on that, okay. <laughs> I want to preface this by saying, I wasn't surprised by the reactions I was seeing coming from like campuses and coming from students and faculty, but it's still, even though not being surprised and kind of expecting it, but to see it play out like it did is still shocking. No, I agree. I, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I maybe was a little surprised. But, you know, in hindsight, it kind of makes sense with, you know, the more you realize the post-colonial theory, that sort of thing, that that sort of reaction, the open support of the violence, yeah, it, it I guess maybe I should not have been surprised. So you, you think you, you weren't really surprised? I wasn't surprised by the anti-Semitism, but I was surprised by the open support of violence, like you said, like the anti-Semitism, I'd been calling some of this out around 2017, 2018. I was really noticing it online. And it was, that was around when I would see things about, Oh, Anne Frank is, you know, it's just, it's white women's tears. And it's just a white girl trying to yell at people. Like oh, I saw yeah. that kind of stuff back then. Yeah. And, um, you know, I joked with a couple of friends that might, I think I joked with them in 2020 or 2019 or 2020. I'd have to go back and check. I said, yo, give it a year. And they're going to be talking about Jews of color are the only people who can face anti-Semitism. And so that I, I was not surprised. And I th also think I wasn't surprised because I got into all of this or, you know, I, didn't, I was never anyone who spoke out about anything. I didn't particularly care. Um, why shouldn't I say I didn't care, but it was just like, I'm not a pundit. And then there was lack of access as well. The internet's made that you know a lot easier, but so, but when I came back from working overseas in 2014, I saw the discourse around Islam. I said, this is like really screwed up. And that's when I, and I got involved in that a little bit, just thinking, okay, people are just like more of my friends. It's like, okay, they're, they don't know what they're talking about. I don't know where they're getting this information. I'll give them my perspective. Cause you know, they know I'm from that background. And maybe that'll carry some weight. And then that's the reaction I got from strangers to that was what led me into looking into all this. So the support of Islam coming from, you know, whatever the progressive left, the woke left, it's just, that was where I, I started seeing it. Then, you know, like I said, so for myself, I started looking into this around 2015, um, and then so by 2017, that's when I said I started noticing the things about, you know, like basically just open anti-Semitism, like saying, oh, it's just white women's tears or, you know, like stuff like that. I, um, you know, slavery was just as bad as the Holocaust. And, you know, why are they complaining about the Holocaust? We were slaves for 400 years. It's like, well, mm. look at the history of Jews. Like, you know, they were slaves for, right. you know, for a long time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't want to make light of it, but it just, right. you know. So, like I said, that didn't surprise me, but yeah, the, the, the violence part of it, that was a little bit what shocked me that I'm like, okay, call them colonizers or whatever, but, you know, to justify rape and justify murder of civilians and little children and just saying, oh, well, these are oppressors. I'm like, who do those little kids oppress? <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And it was, you know, and it was the the day after October, you know, October 8th. Yeah. Uh, at Laurier, we had a professor on Twitter who just went 
professor of social work. And she put a, a, a tweet that said something about like, this is great, this is resistance, this is what land back means. Basically, this is like fighting settler colonialism. This is justice. Right? This is the this is the worldview. It's it's like a I don't know what happens to someone's mind in this it's a must be a massive brainwashing that infects them and they just there is I don't it's just there's a clear oppressor and there's nothing you can do to that oppressor that is not justified that appears to be their worldview. I, I but I mean you seem to have read more of this post colonial theory and you're much more scholarly about this. I'm just a scientist observing sort of from the outside, but I think you're probably more more well read on it than I well, I mean, some of it I, I, I came across when I was in university. Um, I graduated with a poli-sci degree in the mid-90s. So, yeah, I, okay. I, you know, it was more post-colonialism in the poli-sci department than it was like CRT or anything like that. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I, so, but I also read some of the precursors like Fanon and stuff. But, wow. you know, but whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I'm an IT geek now. I've been working in IT for like 30 years, so I, yeah. my poli sci degree is not really helping me too much. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I I did read a lot of this stuff, and it's just I mean, th this aspect of it is a lot. A lot of the post colonialists built off Fanon. So um, if you ever read his book, The Wretched of the Earth, uh, I mean the, the the preface or the prologues written by Kant. Or Sartre, sorry, um, and he talks about bathing in European blood, and I mean, Fanon basically goes down to say that any oppressed peoples must oppress their oppressor for an equal amount of time if they want to get over that oppression. Mm -hmm. And so the post-colonialism, I mean, like it started being. Edward Said started writing some of this stuff in like the seventies, and so it built off Fanon. I mean, he Fanon wrote about the um, the Algerian struggle, and so against France. So he's writing in the fifties, and Said, like I said, I think post colonialism started in the early seventies, and uh, it was the same thing. Oh well, these people have to be colonized, so they have to decolonize themselves, and so at that point, it was get rid of anything the Westerners brought you. So they denied themselves education and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, coming to the violence, it's, I mean, Fanon was, it, it, the guy, I've only read that and uh, then a few papers, but, you know, he was fairly reactionary and promoted violence. So that's, and then a lot of post-colonials build off him. So the, I could see where they're getting that. Yeah. But the what you said there about oppressing your oppressor for an equal amount of time, so, I mean, how you determine that, what that time is to begin with, it's also strange. But this really seems to be, now that you mention it, a foundational, um, something to do with EDI or DEI, however yeah. you want to call it. But it's there is, you know, they don't say what the end goal is. Like when you when do you stop discriminating and hiring? There's no target number mentioned. There's no end date. In fact, it tends to accelerate over time. Yeah, but I mean, again, the, a lot of these people, like a lot of the DEI now is just building straight off candy, right? So in oh, yeah. how, how to be an anti-racist, the only, the, the solution for past discrimination is present discrimination. The solution mm -hmm. for present discrimination is future discrimination. Mm -hmm. So there's always going to be, you know, and that's, a very watered down, like, you know, I gave you a very, very, I gave you the Coles notes of the Coles notes of, of the wretched of the earth. Like, you know, and mm -hmm. so, and that's what Kendi's building is. I mean, his, his theories on, I mean, Kendi's not terribly bright. Um, I, I, I kind of tend to be in the camp of, uh, Len Larry, who says like the guy's an empty suit. Empty <laughs> suit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah. he certainly appears that way when you see him speak. I mean, he, yeah. you know, there's the famous definition of racism. You know, um, I don't know if you saw that. But yeah, yeah, I, I saw that. I mean, I, yeah. I, 
I read far too much of this stuff, and um, I still go go around every now and then and pick something up. I might read Crenshaw's new book if she when it, when it comes out, just because I want to see what she's trying to say. But oh, it's mind numbing. But like, how, okay, so you're you know you mentioned a science professor and like in your bio, bio so like you you study chemistry. So I spoke to a professor out in Montreal. Um, he taught uh, like she was teaching. It was, it was another chemistry professor, and he was doing a research project. And on his research project, he his hiring was not going to use a DEI initiative, and they weren't going to have you know diversity statements and stuff like that. And his funding was pulled, and he was told he's being racist. The guy's from South Asia. The guy's Indian, and you I know, like oh that, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're you're upholding yeah, white that. supremacy. It's so. What's it like at Wolford Laurier or? if you could speak about Ontario in general. It's much the same. And that's because what, what this professor is talking about is, is the DEI or EDI statements. It's required uh, to get grants now. Mm -hmm. right? So you may have heard that for jobs now, a lot of professors need to include some yeah. sort of statement, diversity statement. Uh, but now in Canada, I don't know if it's like this in the States, but in Canada, you have to have now some EDI statement included in your grant. And this is actually one of the reasons I didn't wake up to this stuff until very recently. You're talking about 2014, 2015, you were noticing things. I was totally didn't notice <laughs> anything until it hit my, like it came for me. Right? So it came, uh, but about three years ago, I applied for a grant. It's these, uh, it's a, it's a grant called NFRF, the New Frontiers in Research Fund, I think. And this grant has a very extensive equity, diversity, and inclusion section. And in this grant, it's, I mean, it has a rubric. And in the rubric, you have to identify systemic barriers in your say your university, your apartment, or even your lab, you have to identify these things and then come up with ways to overcome. Now, the other thing that's, noticed, that's of note is that in the grant, you have to, it's pass-fail on your EDI statement. So if you don't pass this statement, they won't even look at your science, at your proposal where you put all the work in, right? So it really, you know, I was paying attention and I took it seriously. So, and I didn't know much about EDI because grants I'd written before, they kind of had, it was, seemed like kind of just, I assumed, okay, I'm just going to make sure that I don't discriminate. Like it didn't really seem like it was much, but all of a sudden this was really aggressive. And I was like, oh, I got to learn. Because if I have to identify systemic barriers, like I'm not a social scientist, how do I do this, right? Um, so I started looking for good books. I figure when you're getting in a new area, it's nice to start with a few books. And so I figured out, let's find some books that are kind of um, different views on EDI, right? Because I always think it's good in a new area to try to find who are the people that with different ideas about it and sort of think in that clash <laughs> yeah. the ideas um and i realize now that's you know mistake number one you never do that <laughs> you're not supposed to find opposing views um so there are these professors who build themselves as experts edi experts they have reading lists so you can go and look at their lists of, of recommended edi books well what do you find well candy of course is one of the mm -hmm. first things you encounter now, did you read the entire book, How to Be an Anti-Racist? Yeah. Oh, I, I spent 18... Okay, I was on medical leave, uh, so I didn't have anything else to do. And I was really curious about this stuff. I was curious about why I was getting called a white supremacist because, for criticizing Islam. I'm like, okay, but I'm brown. you know. And so this was around 2018. I'd read some of it, but not much. But then I just said, okay, I want to know where this is coming from. So I started reading... Uh, intersectionality, critical race theory, some early Derek Bell, um, and I went all the way down to 
Kendi and D'Angelo. I mean, some of the other stuff I read, there's a book I read called Acting White, where they talk about, in the prologue, he talks about the Obamas and uses them as an example. And he said, like, don't be like the, like the Obamas, like, acted white and they spoke white they talked white and it's just i mean the whole book is like how not to be white and it's just oh it, it's, it's wow. written for it so yeah i mean it a lot of it's mind-numbing and painful but it's nothing's it's nowhere near as bad as queer and gender theory like read some judith butler if you want to get confused all i've, all I've read is the, the passage in the douglas murray book and i was like okay i'm definitely not cracking any of those books oh yeah they're, no, they're I, just awful i mean but i mean the first the fir i couldn't get past the first chapter of the candy book it just made me almost ill because he was just advocating for racial discrimination i thought this man is a foul racist he's trying to make it like and I don't know why anyone would would see this as some sort of insightful scholarly work when he's clearly a racist. I he's just saying you need to anti-racism is just racism. Yeah, I mean, as far as I could tell, I've got my theories, and part of it is what you said. You didn't care about it until it came knocking at your door, and that's where like. That's where I have a big issue with academics. Like, I, I, you know, I say, like, the, like, some of the first people who bring out that thing, oh, first they came for the trade unionists, and I was in a trade union. So like, you know, mm -hmm. they'll use that thing, and then they'll, and then but I'm like, you had on your campuses this going on, and you didn't know, and you mm -hmm. didn't do anything. Now, yeah. there's one thing, okay, you're engrossed in your work, and I get it, you're in STEM. You don't care what a sociologist is really doing. Oh, they got a PhD in sociology or they got a PhD in African American studies or something. They're putting out some, you know, race initiatives. Yeah, fine. They must, you know, I'm a PhD in chemistry. I know what I'm talking about when it comes to chemistry. They must know what they're talking about because they have that PhD. Right. Yeah. So that I get it. It still bugs me, but I'll give you an example. Someone I respect and someone I, I don't know the person I respect him from what I've seen, but Nicholas Christakis. Christakis, right. or how, how do you pronounce his yeah. name? Christakis. He put out a tweet, uh, you know, right after October seventh, when all this stuff was going on. He's like, for over a decade, or for twelve years, or something like that, I saw kids going through these um, DI courses that were you know, infringing on their civil rights. Like, okay, did you do anything about that? Mm -hmm. Did you help one of those kids file a civil rights complaint? And when I called him out on, oh, I've been fight, speaking out against this for 10 years. I'm like, but where? What have you been doing? Were you writing a stern letter? Like it's, <clears throat> and there's so many academics that allowed that to happen. There are some who, um, there's a, a guy, I forget where he teaches. It's uh, Robert George. He's like the McCormick professor. I can't remember where he is. But he's, he wrote about this. He wrote early books. And when you're talking about how does Kendi get through if you take a look at, go back in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, and there was critiques of CRT. There was critiques, there like there were critiques of inter, intersectionality. And some of them were by black professors, some of them were by white. But the other ones made people feel better because they didn't want to sound racist, so they just let it pass. And it it's... It was slow and then it got really fast really quickly like it um i think if you listen to jonathan height it's you see it around 2012 2013 and that kind of fits in with what i saw as well um mm -hmm. like it was in high schools in the states around that time like starting around 2010 so if it goes mm -hmm. into high school in 2010 by about 2013 you've graduated right. gone to university you're already bringing that thought process yeah. with you yeah um, and that's when it started leaking off campus um mm -hmm. so yeah it's 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 just that and so it was caught up in it you know like d'angelo's book is garbage as well it's poorly written it's you know kendy's is worse but still i mean d'angelo's mm -hmm. is no no great book but it got people got caught up in the frenzy and they just went along with it and mm -hmm. you know just read it and just 
yeah, okay. Or they didn't know what they were talking about. It's like, yeah, okay. Racism is power plus prejudice. That makes sense. I mean, you know, like garbage like that. It just, it's, yeah, yeah. you know, so what, like, I, you know, sorry, I ramble a bit, but that to me, like academic academics and academia broke their trust. Like mm -hmm. they had the trust of the public and they were supposed to be, that was our sense-making. That was our guide to truth. And mm -hmm. it's, you compl like completely broke that trust. So at this point, I'm, I don't want government involvement. I really don't, but I don't see how without a mixture of legislation or some form of gov government employment, uh, you know, involvement and the faculty pushing back, I don't see how you fix this. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't think it can work from inside. Uh, it's gotta be, uh, I think it's gotta be from the outside. Now you're probably you know, the skeptical, you know, of government involvement. Um, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the Chris Rufo type of arguments, right? Where you, it's reasonable for the public to legislate, okay, we're not going to have DEI offices. You're not going to have any of that stuff going on. Um, now where I think the controversy comes as people claim he wants to shut down gender studies departments and things like that um i i'm not i i don't think you should be shutting down or stopping inquiry I, but i think those things would but all you have to do is allow open debate right if people are allowed to openly criticize the nonsense coming out of gender studies right if you can just say look you're, it's nonsense all you're just making stuff up now got no it's unfalsifiable claims. If you're just allowed to say that, it'll wither. But right now, people say that, and then people come after them, right? And yeah. and then they start apologizing. It's really pathetic. But um, so so I think all you got to do is say no. We just we allow people to say what they think and openly criticize, and yeah. and I think things will take care of themselves. But that's a cultural thing, right? And I think yeah. now it seems to me that the younger people. Even people my age in universities just aren't really that bothered about free speech. They don't seem to care that much. Think, ah, oh, the pendulum will swing back. It's not yeah. that. Yeah, I'm not going to stick my neck out. It's not going to swing back. If it swings back, it's going to no. be an overcorrection. And it's yeah. In your, I mean, that's okay. The that the, the the culture that you're talking about. I agree with you. Like, yes, the fact. Okay. Yes. Faculty need to stand up, and the presidents of universities need to get a backbone. And they can say, you know, if you want to put forward scholarship, like, okay, fine, don't shut down the, the departments. But unless you can prove what you're talking about based on these standards that we've used that are tried and tested, so like, you know, the scientific method, you know, the method for discourse, the method, for, like, you know, until you can, this is what we have. If your stuff stands up to this, fine. Teach it, and we'll let people get PhDs and whatever. If not, if you want to teach it with, as a non-credit course, go ahead. And if people want to take it, let them take it. It's it's Chicago University of Chicago is having a, a chair in, in um, critical race theory. I'm like, it's nonsense. Critical race theory is utter nonsense. And you know, if they want to teach it, fine, teach it. But it's like I, I said, you know, you want to teach alchemy, teach alchemy, but you don't have a chair for alchemy at your university, especially a chair at alchemy that's going to dictate how science is done. Because now you've got CRT or well, DI is an offshoot of it. It's is dictating how science is being done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, well, here's the thing. I, I, I'm a big fan of Jonathan Rausch and his definition of liberal science. Yeah. I don't know if you like, it. yeah. And so, I mean, if like I, you want a chair of alchemy, good luck because people are going to make fun of you, yep. right? It's just not going to happen because there isn't a taboo on that subject. Critical race theory is just as nonsensical as alchemy, but you cannot criticize that you'll be called a racist and people are scared of being called racist. Mm. So, so then it survives. It's, it's based on intimidation, right? So I think if you can adhere, reestablish a culture of open inquiry, free exchange of ideas, uh, then those things will wither over time. You know, you might have a little, 
you know, a few nutty people doing nutty things, which probably you should have a few nutty people doing nutty things. That's mm -hmm. probably good to protect a few, uh, a few really weird ideas on campus. That's probably makes it interesting. But, uh, you know, when they start to expand and the mechanism by which they expand is through intimidation and you just have spineless administrators who won't say, hey, we're not going to have you shutting down speakers or trying to intimidate people, you know. That's, which is all they need to do, but they won't do it. I don't want government involvement, but you know, if, you, if the government says if you don't follow the principles, you know, like the principles of the Enlightenment, or like you know, if you set down like guiding principles coming from the government, you can teach whatever you want. We're not going to. It's not illegal. Whatever. If you want government funding, this is what you have to follow, mm -hmm. and. Be straight up, that's the kind of government intervention I'd like to see. Or make it easier for people file a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think there was one recently, was it in Canada or was it in the U.S.? I'd like to think it was in Canada, but I don't think it was, where a white person sued on the grounds of racial discrimination in one. Because I know in Canada there were a couple of court cases like this, and they were specifically saying, like, white people aren't protected under those that's the ontario human rights commission i believe said that yeah. uh white people it, it, it are it's not it doesn't cover white people or hasn't covered white males maybe yeah but i mean that, that's ridiculous like okay. i mean there's also a case in 2013 it was a native woman um in calgary Cal calgary she was in alberta for sure um i'd have to go back and remember look at look at the details of the case but she had a sign that said something along the lines of kill all white men or kill all white people. And she got brought up to the human rights tribunal and they said, no, it's not because of past trauma and all this other BS. Mm -hmm. She was excused, which I mean, mm -hmm. you know, if a white person did that about any other race, mm -hmm. they'd be facing pretty hefty charges. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, the thing that, that still I often think about is in the, I think it was in the Eaton Center in Toronto before Christmas. There was some Hamas supporters. Yeah. And he, and he said, I'll put you six feet in the ground. Mm -hmm. And he was talking to a civilian right beside police. And they did nothing. Nope. I mean, the guy did get event arrested eventually, but. Oh, did he get eventually? Yeah. Okay. But that's it's okay. That's, but I mean, that's a death threat right in front of a police officer. I mean, nothing. And they're like, oh, well, we don't want to aggravate the crowd. But I mean, you know, they had no problem. Say whatever you want, whether you agreed with the truckers or not, you do have a right to protest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were trampled by horses. Yeah. And they didn't particularly seem to care at that point, right? They, it's, it's that kind of stuff that people see it. And, you know, I always worry about that overcorrection. So what I'm, when I'm seeing this stuff coming from the universities that's being taught, and then you see it played out, you know, it, it comes like after October 7th, you see it, you know, so openly in the streets, but go back to um, all the burnt churches and all the vandalized churches in Canada. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that first summer when it was happening, Trudeau's using the same language of post-colonialism, talking about, Canada being a settler, settler colonial state and saying how he understands and, and the anger is understandable. Yeah. It's the same logic and the same reasoning that these the, the, the Hamas supporters are using right now. I'm like, okay, it's in our government now. We're making policies based on that kind of logic. Until you fix the universities, no matter what else you do, it's a war of attrition that you're going to lose. I mean, I see a lot of pushback in the states, and I'm go. You know, I'm starting like I've worked with a couple of parents groups and stuff, and I'm starting to see some stuff here. But I, we need more in Canada. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, did you did you read Eric Kaufman's report that came out yep. last week? And that to me is fascinating because you know it really shows we're not very much different than the U.S. or the U.K. But he ponders this, this fascinating question as to if if Canadians' views are pretty aligned with other countries, why is Canada the outlier 
in that we've had no reforms towards DEI. Whereas, you know, in the US, you've had several Republican states out, you know, ban it. You've had in the UK the academic freedom bill, all these sorts of um, pushback happening in Canada has had nothing. And and he provides that fascinating graph where he shows that Canadians have this strange attachment and respect for elites and for the media and professors, especially the media, right? It's just the UK, they just, they don't trust their media at all, but Canadians, oh yeah, our media is pretty much okay, you know? And so that seems to be like one of the explanations. And it was fascinating because what was it, 60 or 70% of Canadians believe in the, that there's a mass grave at Kamloops? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. So, it, so clearly they're just, I mean, where, how could you still believe that? You know, um, but I guess if you just watch CBC, you wouldn't question. Yeah. I mean, there's an account on Twitter. It's called Polling Canada. And all they do is just put out polling numbers. Interesting. And so they put out polling numbers of where people are getting their news by age demographics. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, boomers and Gen Xers that are getting most of their media from the, from television news. Right. You know, so okay. like like younger Gen Xers and millennials and Gen Z are all doing it. It's all from online. Yeah. Like the the you know the biggest chunk of those those groups. But another thing is, I mean, there's a joke that was, was a comedian in the '80s, and he had a joke, and it's like you know the only thing Canadians are proud of is that we're not Americans, and. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but it it's okay that is kind of true and, it is it's kind of sad but it's kind of true yeah. um trudeau really capitalized on that oh yeah. that's american style politics oh he's using trump style politics and so when he labels it and puts that like that when he frames it like that unfortunately canadians you know, clap like train seals and they'll, they'll just try to avoid mm-hmm. it. And so, oh, the pushback on it means I'm using American politics where the reality is the liberals, the NDP have this in their, have this in their platform. They, they speak the same language. The greens are also using it. It's based like CRT is based on American jurisprudence. It was a yeah, critique. Derek of some, Bell is an American. Yeah. He, he <laughs> taught law. He's a, he's a law professor at Harvard and he was yeah. cr- criticizing he was actually criticizing the civil rights act. He thought it was, he didn't think the civil rights act was, was correct. I mean, one of his papers uh, serving two masters, he talks about how it's, and I could see where he's coming from in some ways. They shouldn't have um, desegregated schools. They should have desegregated, segregated education, but he was actually talking about, you know, undoing um, uh, what's it with Brown versus the Board of Education. He was talking about getting rid of the Civil Rights Act. In Crenshaw was a student of his, and in her paper in '91, she wrote like it's called um, "Mapping the Margins," and she wrote in the last couple of paragraphs how we need to get away from the liberal ethic, and you need to have a politics based on identity. So they want to undo the whole enterprise of the Enlightenment and have you know so. Well, that's worked out well in Northern Ireland and Yugoslavia, didn't it? Yeah. But what I'm saying, like, so, you know, they're hypocrites. They talk about American-style politics and, oh, they're doing this and that. And they're the ones bringing it in. They're bringing yeah. in American racial politics into Canada. Oh, no. I mean, just, I it, I mean, back to, I guess, the, the idea of the universities. Um, they're, the groupthink and the repressive feeling on universities is, is palpable and i i don't know i don't think it's the same in the u.s entirely i mean it probably depends it probably is at harvard or some of those places but um but it just everyone assumes you have a very left worldview uh you know it would just be assumed that you thought the truckers were bad right for example uh it would be assumed that you would support EDI, uh, and people just go about and talk with those assumptions. These are, and they don't recognize that these are actually very unusual 
views to hold if we look at wider society, right? And they don't examine where they've come from. They don't hear anyone challenging them. And so when someone just asks a simple question that challenges it or, or uh, induces some sort of cognitive dissonance, it can really lead to some quite fierce pushback. So it's... Yeah, um, but, okay, I don't know. I mean, I, I know you're in chemistry, but I don't know if you've looked at anything about Eastern Europe or any um, authoritarian state. People were afraid to ask questions. Right. They didn't like now it's like, oh, they're afraid to speak, but they might whisper it in private to their friends. Right. That circle of friends and people they'll whisper to it in private is going to get smaller and smaller because mm -hmm. you won't know who to trust. Like you said, yeah. oh, I think that person, oh, everyone agrees with DEI, so I've got to go along. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you publicly go along because you don't know who's, and it's this, I mean, that, that attitude. Sorry, but that's not conducive to truth seeking. Like you're 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 not gonna get you're not gonna find the grand unifying theory in an environment like that. You know it, it's fully corrupting. Because now what I'm seeing, and I've noticed it the last year, we're now seeing people lying. So administrators, I'm quite involved in my school board as well. You know, the, the 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 school board director will just openly lie publicly in a way that if you just stop and think logically, you say, okay, if if what they're saying is true, you would expect people to react in a certain way that they don't react. So they actually you we all kind of have just gotten used to people lying this is very frightening i think we should all be very startled that now people are just lying all the time and if you stop and think and notice it and then sometimes like i'll put a freedom of information request or or i'll just ask a question to, you know to to get some more information and then you push a little more and you realize oh it's just a, it, it is definitely a lie which we didn't need to really find out for sure it was we know it but nobody cares that's what i'm seeing nobody really cares they're just like or or they're just too scared to push they're like ah or they're demoralized that's where we are uh in our education system okay so um what do you do about that? Like, I know there's something going on around Waterloo, but is there like, do you hear rumblings across Canada or do you even, are you even able to hear that or? Well, so, so we are starting to, I, I do sense a shift. So there's a few things we're doing uh, around Waterloo. So one is the Society for Academic Freedom and Scholarship. Mm -hmm. So this is a society that's been around for, since the early 90s, I believe. Um, and so we started a local chapter a couple of years ago, but it's not very active. We have, you know, a handful of profs between Waterloo and Laurier. Um, and I think what's happened is somehow, I think because they write letters every time there's one of these postings that's restricted hiring, you know, just for a certain racial group or just for a certain sex or whatever. Mm -hmm. Society for Academic Freedom, SAFs, will usually write a letter to the administration saying, here's why we disagree with this. You know, you should just hire on academic reasons. You shouldn't consider non-academic um, things in hiring. And they've kind of, for some reason, gotten tarred as, you know, in my department, I think they'll say, oh, that's an alt-right organization, whatever alt-right means. Yeah. So it just seems to have been, it's funny how just they'll just make some assertion, label something with no evidence, and then it kind of seems to work. Like It seems to kind of just tar it with a, I mean, it's a ridiculous assertion, but it seems to kind of work. So the one, the other thing we've done is we've got a heterodox academy campus community. And that one seems to be doing better. And I think it's for whatever reason, Heterodox Academy is kind of, they're just so down the middle. <laughs> they're always, 
you know, they don't really take stands. It's like, we want to have dialogue, you know? <laughs> so I think they've avoided some of the, for whatever reason, they, anyway, we've got maybe, you know, we email 30 or 40 people, you know, for monthly meetups. We just started in September. We'll have, you know, 10 people come to the pub and, and, uh, this week or this next month, we've got Lisa Bildy coming to talk to us. Yeah, I know Lisa. And, and Bruce Party will come. Oh. And then in May, we're going to have, um, this conversation, heterodox conversation about an issue. And we've got Eric Kaufman coming. Uh, we haven't got, it's supposed to be a paired speaker with someone who's kind of on the other side of it. And that's going to be about DEI. And so you can never really get the DEI people to engage. So I don't know if we'll get anyone, but it's heterodox Academy that you, that mostly is trying to arrange and reach out and, and do all the negotiating cost stuff. So, I mean, that's, that's a, I think, positive people are starting to get interested in it um and i think if they see that you know people like me are speaking a bit and not taking any hit um then it's you know it helps do you hear any rumblings from other parts of canada or is it just like do you are you only kind of i mean I, look i, I realize you you have everyone has limited bandwidth so i, I don't expect you to know everything that's going across the country but I just... yeah oh yeah no I, well we we do have um so we've reached out to i'm really impressed with uh simon fraser university they have a heterodox academy group and and even before that before they got the funding from heterodox academy they had it was an academic freedom group and they're writing letters to their administration. I think they've got maybe 30 or 40 people who are like, you know, they get drafts of letters to write to the administration. It's like, hey, you got to get rid of this EDI policy. or <laughs> And they'll write a letter and get a bunch of people sign it. They'll make drafts. And then they'll get these policies overturned, right? So um, <clears throat> they're a model, I think, um, yeah. for for how we might do it. I, they're just profoundly successful. I mean, you try to talk to someone from there, I think you'd learn a lot about some of the, the success stories in Canadian academia. Uh, Overgeneralization again here, but I, I think part of the problem is is the fact that academics are academics. I mean, like they're bookish, non-confrontational. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's yeah. makeup of an academic is not one to go looking to pick a fight. Like it's just... <laughs> I know, and isn't and I've I've it's it's so funny because you know the idea of tenure, the idea of tenure is so that you can you can stay crazy, you can like advance your crazy ideas and not worry about your employment. But it's so strange because it's like the tenured position is so safe; it selects for really timid, risk averse people. Yep. And so the academy is full of people who are just looking over their shoulders. It's like. Hey, you've got tenure. Use it. You know, if you think there's something wrong, you should speak. <laughs> That's your duty. <laughs> it's like you're a most privileged person. So, uh, anyway. Yeah. Like, I know you said you didn't really start noticing until a couple of years, but I'm just wondering if you, just a general sense of the atmosphere. I, I can't remember what year it was, but it was around 2016. Trudeau had made it so that all the chairs of the universities have to be diverse, right? So you had to have. The chairs had to be diverse based on the population. The CRC chairs, yeah. 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 Did you notice yeah. a bigger shift starting around then? Or like, like I said, I know you mentioned you like you didn't you were just not paying attention before then. I was just wondering like if the general atmosphere around then shifted. You know, I didn't really notice it. it uh, you know, there was the Lindsay Shepherd incident yeah. at our university. And you know, I was on sabbatical that year and I was, you know, traveling a bit and I, I just, and, you know, we do kind of look down our noses at arts people and science. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know. Pronoun. Just, they're just, you know, wasting everyone's time. Like it's kind of, that's what I was thinking. I'm kind of ashamed to say it. Right. But that's kind of what I thought. Yeah. It's like, let's just get our work done. You know, stop worrying. Um, you know, and only only now do I realize how important that was. And I also realize how now that sort of scandal happens like every day and no one cares. Back then, the fact that 
she was treated like this by these professors mm-hmm. made national news. Like that stuff just happens all the time now. And we've been demoralized. We don't care. So it's a big change. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't know. In some ways, I think what they're doing with like, let's say the university of Austin, um, like with yeah. Barry White, like, I, you know, I sometimes wonder if we need that. Like, it's, when I got back in 2014 and I started seeing these things happening, I'm like, we got to, I was still hopeful things could be salvaged. Mm-hmm. And now, like, after looking into it, I'm just like, so I'll give you the timeline I got out of the whole thing when I started looking into it. And I'm not going to go, I got people go back to the Frankfurt School in the 30s and 60s, whatever. I'm, I'm not going to bother with that. It was like, I start with intersectionality because that's what really made the change. So, intersectionality, they, it was pretty much, you know, being taught around the late 80s. Then in 89, they had a conference in, I want to say New Jersey, where they defined critical race theory. They gave it the name. And there was all these scholars. They started writing it. And that's when critical race theory came out. And then intersectionality, they were still pushing it out a little bit. Uh, like I said, Crenshaw wrote her seminal piece in 91. And that's really when it took off. So... I kind of use that as a gauge and saying, okay, in 91, that's when the intersectional lens started going through the humanities. Now, obviously not all of them right away, but, you know, especially if you're taking African-American studies or some sociology courses, you had that intersectional lens. So if you look at that from like 90, 91, or maybe 92, people getting PhDs and masters using that lens come out 97, 98, if you look at, you know, like just kind of follow a timeline, they go into the workforce. They go back into the academy. They go into government. They go into HR departments. They go into think tanks. There's not a lot of them. But they changed. They changed. You know, if you go into HR, you're changing the direction of the way the company hires. You're changing all that kind of stuff. If you go into administration and government and you go into, okay, like state government. So if they started going into government in the late 90s, 9-11 happens and then right away okay you know it was done by muslims okay we don't want to seem racist so we're going to hire people who are going to help us fight racism and then we can put out these policies they shift the government towards it like like i said some of this might sound like tinfoil hat but if you just follow it just followed like the trail of like phds coming out of academia going into these different jobs and going back in the academy by about, like I said, by around 2010, I'd have to look at the numbers again, but it was, you know, 15 to 20 states that were using that in high schools, like a CRT-based curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, then that starts growing. You know, then it goes into, you know, middle schools, and then it goes through right. K through 12. So you've got more and more people coming out with that same thought pattern. So after a while, you don't need the administrators and the faculty pushing this downwards. You've got it coming from the ground up. And so I think the Academy was lost by 2012. I I honestly do think, like when I look at it now, I I just think it's you you might be able to save certain departments, but as a whole, I think academia is done. Like I I, I really, I'm, I'm very pessimistic about that, but Again, like all these people, like even a couple of years ago, oh, yeah, we're, we've reached peak woke. I'm like, no, you haven't. Like, it's going to take 30 years to turn the ship around. You had from the early 90s to now, which is like 30 some odd years, where people were being taught with this lens. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, there's not enough Starbucks and there's not enough barista jobs for all these people who basically have useless degrees and don't know how to do anything else. Well, that's why they expand. That's why they expand. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the government, what has yeah. Trudeau added? 90,000 jobs. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that's why they're trying to expand all these EDI departments. They need more and more people doing these jobs that are worse than useless, right? They're, they're yeah. just, okay, we got to find ways to make sure people don't get harmed by, by open inquiry. They run counter to the purpose of the university. And, but I mean, Hey, look, our employment numbers are good. Look how many our graduates find jobs uh, in yeah. these in these government departments and our university new departments we've devised while we 
while we lay off, you know, and, and, and find cuts for other, other useful things. I mean, I'd like to see a bunch of students just say, and unfortunately they've been so brainwashed. They're not going to, but if a bunch of students said, okay, we're suing the universities because you gave us worthless degrees. You gave us something that's not worth the money. I gain, I know it depends on where in Canada you are and what schools you go to. I mean, Quebec is still relatively not that expensive compared to like U of T and places like that. Like, you know, um, but yeah, sue these universities, get your tuition back. They, they sold you a bill of goods. And I, I'd love to see that. I mean, like, honestly, like, I, I know it sounds like I, I know I don't sound as I sound just like someone who's saying, you know, burn the whole system down or whatever, but I'm like, there's nothing to preserve. You know, when our chief, like, you know, whatever, what's her name, Dr. Tam or whatever she is, mm -hmm. when she tells you that men can give birth, I'm like, sorry, I'm not taking medical advice from this person. Oh, yeah. Now, you know, why should I take any medical advice from someone who thinks men can give birth? Yeah, no. You know, so it's the, the harm that's been done to all our institutions. Like, and, yeah. you know, and we need certain things that we can have trust in, and we don't have that anymore. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I, I can't say I disagree with you. Um, certainly it's falling quickly. Um, you know, we still, it's, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, I feel like most of what we're doing, you know, in my department, people do pretty good work. They're still grounded in the scientific, you know, method. They're, but, but it is increasingly being politicized in every way. And it's little by little over time. Um, the EDI statements are just one aspect of it, but you see more and more funding calls that are targeted to address certain societal problems. Right? Yeah. So yeah. climate change or a variety of things that are largely of a political nature. Um, and you kind of adopt certain, you just start from a certain worldview. This is a crisis we have to address now. Here's what I'm going to do. And, you know, usually works kind of interesting but it's it's just kind of make work within you know a framing that's usually exaggerated have you uh, read uh any michael schellenberger or if you know who he is yeah no i haven't read his work i've seen some of his talks um and yeah i i, I thought he, he's um been very impressive his you know i saw his talk at the arc conference on the climate change um, so, and it was really good I, like I spoke to him about that and I asked him like what you were mentioning there and it's when he, he took I mean I think his degree was environmental science and he was interested in that he wanted to go into it and he took that degree and he said like teaching activism is first teaching mm -hmm. about the environment is second teaching about the environmental sciences is second so mm -hmm. How long is a chemistry department going to last or a physics department or anything when they're teaching the people how to be an activist? They're not teaching right. them, you know, um, like I'd spoken to someone from um, the California state system, like university, like the state colleges in California. And there's a physics professor and uh, he'd mentioned that he'd gone to the Soviet Union or met scientists from the Soviet Union, either in the Soviet Union or in like one of the Warsaw Pact countries. Mm -hmm. And he said that they were still doing good science, but it was, you know, like he said, like they were doing good science, you, you know, you got stuff, good stuff coming out of them, but there was still that politicization. I mean, it's, yeah. and back then they were doing good science because they need to keep up with the Americans. Like they yeah. weren't doing good science because they were in search of truth. They were doing good science mm -hmm. because they needed better bombs and better weapons and better, right. you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you know Anna Kreloff? No. Oh, you should really look up Anna Kreloff. She wrote a great article 2021 called The Perils of Politicizing Science. And she's a chemist. She grew up in the Soviet Union. And so mm -hmm. she goes into these wonderful anecdotes of how you know, even resonance theory, which is just widely accepted in chemistry, but it was it wasn't Marxist enough. So 
that was sort of banned and people got promoted if they did you know didn't go and you know they rejected it <laughs> the other competing theories went and and just fascinating stories and yeah she writes beautifully so you should look up Anna Freelock but the other thing I wanted to mention that when you mentioned this it brought to mind the departments being politicized I often notice when I'm on a student's committee or I'm you know on a thesis defense the beginning of the thesis often starts with these presumptions that are not examined uh, by the student they just kind of this is what we take as truth such and such is a major problem it costs this much per year you know they just they haven't thought about it and i just say well what's the trade-off like i'll ask them a simple question that if you were thinking about this you would ask <laughs> but it's kind of just they're just setting up the front matter of the thesis and so they haven't really thought about it and you know fair enough i suppose in some ways right but it's telling that the whole justification for the work, the way it's sold at the beginning to make it interesting to the public, is very politicized from one view. And here's another anecdote. I have a colleague in business. He was on a on a um, on a thesis defense at University of Waterloo, and during this this defense. Um, one of the other examiners, professors, said to the student, I think it was an economics student, it was related to climate change issues and the economics yeah. of it. And the professor said, you know, you, your, your thesis is, is pretty nuanced. You know, the University of Waterloo's official position is that we are in a climate emergency. You should have really... Uh, presented your thesis to match the university's official policy. You are way too balanced. Right? So this is what a criticism from an economics professor, I don't know if exactly, but it was in that field, like oh. it was, a kind of, I think, a rigorous mathematical economic type of analysis of the trade-offs of climate change <laughs> mitigation or whatever it was. It's like you were too even-handed you should hew to the university's official position that we're at a climate crisis. So again, this is something that people are not told, but they need to know that the universities taking positions like this, we cannot put up with this. We need to go with the Calvin report and say, okay, no, 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 no. You have not, because you can see how that corrupts science. I mean, that's, like the what you're talking about there, it's again D'Angelo, um, like fragility. It's the question isn't did racism occur? The question is how did racism manifest? So it's you're going in with that presumption. I mean, you were you were talking about asking the student, like, you know, some questions. Like if they put in those kind of things, I would have like I don't know, there's a there's a meme of Thomas Sowell and he talks about just asking me this question, like, you know, compared to what? Yeah. Uh, how much is it going to cost? That's the one I asked. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it's, like, the basic just, ones, like compared to what? And yeah, they don't do that at all. Yeah, I don't and, think. And it's the, their argument falls apart. And it just, but I, I, I'm being a little cognizant of the time, so I don't want to keep it too, too much longer. But see, like, that, there's my thing. It's like I talked about, you know, I, I ranted about the our, our institutions gone, but um, I don't know if you ever read or saw the saw the movie it's uh charlton has to really choose up the screen in this movie but it's a man for all seasons and um mm -hmm. hitchens used to talk about this a lot so there's a scene in it in man for all seasons where uh charlton heston's character is speaking to um the uh it's like the inquisitor for the crown and you know he says like so you'd break the law to catch the devil and this guy's name is roper and he said yep I'd burn down, I'd, you know, I'd burn a road through every law in England or something like that. And then Thomas More turns around, like this is in the play or in the movie, like turns around and says like, well, then, then what? When the devil turns around to face you, where are you going to hide now that all the laws are gone? And that's what I right. say about the overcorrection. So when you've got people coming out with PhDs who don't know how to think, like forget even what to think, they don't know how to think at all. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. These people are going to go into our institutions that are supposed to protect us. And then when, like, unless this is stopped soon and a reversal has happened, you are going to get the overcorrection. I see it like um, psychology today, a couple of years back, put out an article about how white people were starting to get a white racial identity and it was growing in kids, you know? Mm. So in majority white countries tell white people they're evil get them pissed off, get them to have a white identity. You know, like if they take over, like people with that mindset take over, that's it. And right. then, you know, when you've gutted, when you've gutted like law schools, like I saw some of the stuff coming out of York law school after October 7th, like it was just scary. Like when you've gutted law schools, mm -hmm. What lawyers are going to defend your civil liberties? Like you mentioned Lisa Bildy. Like I know Lisa works with the JCCF and I know she's done some other really great civil rights stuff. But, you know, again, like you're fighting a war of attrition like, and, you're, and you're going to yeah. lose that war. Yeah, no, I, it is. You're right. That's a beautiful uh, example you gave. Of the, <clears throat> I'll have to watch that movie now. But you're right. I, they are, you know, due process, just presumption of innocence. All those mm. things are being tossed out in order to purge any perceived racism or microaggression. Uh, we'll fill databases. Uh, and this has been going on a while, and you're right. I mean, there's definitely a huge, huge risk. There'll be the overcorrection in another way. And I don't know. Yeah. So if we can only just try to preserve and, and build on. Uh, are re-establishing our liberal inheritance. I'm hoping we can... <laughs> um, yeah, okay, it's like, an uphill battle. But... Like I said, I don't want to keep you too, too much longer, but last question I'll ask you, and then um, you know, I'll cut you loose. Uh, so I, I I know there's a lot of working parts to this, so, but you know, if you're kind of in a vacuum, what would you like to start seeing happening on universities? Like, What would you think like the first big step that really needs to be taken is? Wow. That is a tough question. Um, I, I guess, you know, maybe I haven't thought about this enough. This is funny. You're asking this and I, and I'm caught without a good answer, but it seems to me that one might just be a real heavy handed, government regulations saying you have to respect free speech protections, academic freedom, uh, and then defend people when they get thrown out of the bus. Because uh, the unions won't do it, right? So you have to have some, some protection for dissidents. Uh, I mean, I don't know what that looks like exactly, because I haven't looked at the you know, the UK bills, for example. But yeah, here I am saying I'm against big government, but I see like maybe, maybe a government regulator saying, no, we're, you, you just, there's got to be like real protections for speech on campus. I, I don't know. But that's not even going to work entirely because if, if you have, if in order to get a grant and advance your career, you, you have to write these statements, well, you can say crazy things you want, you don't get fired, but you can't really. <laughs> your research, sure. Yeah, I mean, you look, look, I, I, I like your ideas about that, but one of the things I think, you know, there might not be just one thing, but like a whole mixture of things, but one of them is you got to change the attitude towards tenure. You got to give tenure to the people who take risks. You got to give people tenure, okay? You know, and you got to give them some grace as well. Like, you know, someone who's on a tenure track is studying something. And it might be a little ludicrous or whatever, and it turns out that they were completely wrong. Don't end your career. Let them pivot and take whatever good they could out of that, and maybe put it towards something else. Like I, like I, like I said, if you're going to grant tenure, grant it to someone who's willing to take the risks. Because if not, you're just going to get lemmings who are not going to do anything. Yeah, we do a lot of pretty derivative research, pretty conservative, just you know a variation of what my my mentor did you know slightly different <laughs> not very exciting, yeah. pretty predictable <laughs> yeah but i mean it's it's 
you know, something's got to give. Um, well, look, Jeff, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Like I said, uh, thank you very much for coming on. If you want to let know, uh, if you want to let people know where they can get a hold of you, um, and I'll put that in the description. I'll put the um, the link to the SAFs in the description so people can please go follow them and check them out. Yeah, sure. Mm. Yeah, well, that sounds good. All right. Well, thanks a lot for having me. I, I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And I'll be back.